I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Today we will be talking to Dr. Dr. Lul. I mean, I was just going to say I'm getting such great feedback about this podcast and people are telling me you sound so professional. I'm like, oh, that must be my radio voice. And then I try to say the word doctor and I say Dr. Lul or Duller or whatever I just said. I'm keeping it in. No, I am not drunk. I am not on drugs. I guess my mouth decided to humiliate me on mic, but I am a little out of sorts. I'm recording this from a a hotel room in Palm Springs. I don't live in a hotel room in Palm Springs, so I'm not at home. I'm sort of on a half vacation, um, but working through it as well. So maybe that's what it is. I'm a little out of sorts. But anyway, my guest today is Dr. Angela Neal Barnett. And I'll tell you more about her in a moment. And obviously we will then get to the interview. But thank you all for the great things you've been saying about this podcast. I'm so glad that it's helping people. One of the biggest comments I get is people saying, 
you know, I thought I knew everything there was to know about anxiety. So I didn't think this podcast would be for me, but I learned something in one of the episodes I listened to. And of course, as someone with anxiety, I think, why did you tell me that? Why are you telling me you weren't planning on listening to the podcast? And I know the point is they did listen and they liked it. But all I can think about is how many people aren't listening because they think they know everything about anxiety. Well, they're not listening, so I don't even know why I'm addressing them. (laughs) But, But maybe you're one of those people. And I would say, you know... For me, a person with anxiety, I also think I, I don't think I know it all, but I think I've heard it all. I get it. I certainly, if I were to learn nothing else about anxiety, I think I could still live a pretty good life uh, managing my anxiety. But it's amazing how, first of all, I still learn new things by doing this podcast and doing all of the research on my guests and their work and just talking to them. But there's that other great phenomenon where you hear something for the 10th time and it finally hits you. It hits you in a way that you actually relate to it. You know, we might hear things about anxiety all of the time and think, well, that's what some people have when they have anxiety, but I don't. And you're not lying, you're not in denial, but maybe your life changes or maybe you were in denial, I don't know. But this one day you go, God, I've heard that so many times before, but today it really hit me. You know, or sometimes we just need something drilled into our skull more than 10 times before we actually even hear it at all. You could have heard something 10 times and had no idea. And it sounds like the first time. So that I'm just saying, stick with it. Stick with the podcast because if you're anything like me, I just like listening to people talk about a subject I'm fascinated with, which is anxiety. I can't get enough. Anyway, thank you for all of your wonderful comments. Listen, take a minute, give it a five-star review in Apple Podcasts, write a review. You can just hit five stars if you want, but if you want to write something, you can write something. And it helps it move up the charts. Now, I don't want bragging rights. Oh my God, it's number 63 in society and culture today. But when people peruse podcasts, they go to the top 200 shows in the charts. And the more mine stays up there, the more people find it, the more people find it, the more they're going to let me do this podcast. Now, we do have... 46 weeks total in a row of this podcast to do. So you got me through at least most of 2022 as well, but I want to do more. I want to keep doing this. So review it up. If you want to write a negative review, uh, perhaps you could not do that or write it in your diary. No need to make it public. (laughs) Anyway, have you guys had any fun today? Have you listened to music? Sometimes when I'm anxious, I realize I've had too much talking going on in my ears. I probably shouldn't say this at the beginning of my podcast, which is talking. But after you listen to this, go listen to some music. But you know what I mean? I always have something on in the background. I'm a real podcast junkie. So even if it's pleasant topics that I'm listening to, I'm hearing voices talk. It doesn't really hit the soul like music does. And Dr. Angela today talked about music even just briefly. But when she did, it just hit me right in the gut. And I went, oh, just felt relaxing to think about music and how it gets into our soul and how a huge part of our anxiety recovery is to enjoy our lives. But something that Dr. Angelus said in the early part of our interview is that when people don't do the work on their anxiety because they, they either don't know they have it or they, they don't think of it as anxiety or they just don't want to do the work on it, She says they're not doing the work to become the person they were meant to be 
and that that's a sad story. And when she said that, it just, it really hit me in the heart. It is so much more than just getting rid of or trying to get rid of your anxiety or trying to manage it. It's so much deeper than that. It is about becoming the big, beautiful person that you were meant to be. And obviously you can do that while having anxiety because I'm sure you've heard by now on this podcast, anxiety is not something you get rid of, like something you take out and put in the trash. It's something you learn to live with and it doesn't control you. And now with all of that extra freedom, you don't just stay the same. You get to become the person you're meant to be. There's all this room to grow. I know for sure that that happened in my life. I just never really thought about it that way until she said it or hadn't remembered that I even went through that until she said it. And so talking with Dr. Angela was interesting because she really made clear the difference between anxiety and panic. You know, um, people just sort of say anxiety attack and it's not, there's not really such a thing as an anxiety attack. There's anxiety and then there are panic attacks. So she talks about that and I, I haven't really heard anyone differentiate between the two but one of the through lines of talking to Dr. Angela is that the point of life, right, is, is joy. Or one of the many benefits of life could be joy. It's very hard to have joy when you're busy having anxiety, covering your anxiety, using, for lack of a better word, bad tools to handle your anxiety. It's not a lot of room for joy. It's not a lot of time for joy. I mean, it's life and death to get this anxiety and panic managed. And so I guess I invite you to think of working on your anxiety as not just a way to simply lessen your anxiety, but now what, what do you do with all that extra room, right? It's like getting rid of furniture in your house or something. Oh my God, look, at there's all this extra room to, I don't know, have a dance party or something. And going back to what I said originally where people say, oh, I thought I knew all there is to know about anxiety. Well, you know, listen, as a white woman, I didn't really sit around thinking about race and anxiety in my earlier days of having anxiety when my world was really small and it was just all about me, me, me and how I feel and oh my God, I'm anxious and I can't go over this bridge and I can't go over there and I can't go over here and I can't do this and I can't do that, you know. But there are different experiences that different humans have based on gender, race, so many other things, right? Anxiety is pretty universal, but the way that maybe the gender that you embody or just the culture that you're in, it, it may not be looked at the same way. And you might have to overcome extra things beyond the anxiety itself in order to get help, know what's going on. And so I think you'll find this interview very interesting because it helps you think, oh God, this is what anxiety can be like for other people. I don't have the same experience. This is so eye-opening, but it's also completely relatable because again, we all have other things in life besides anxiety based on where we grew up, how we grew up, whatever, that inform how we recognize, admit to, or handle our anxiety. And so I think you'll learn a lot from Dr. Angela Neal Barnett, who also, by the way, is just a delight. Like she is She's just so she's just so joyful and funny that it it was just a pleasure to talk to her. Like I was just in instantly a better mood, you know, after I talked to her again, I go back to a comment someone made to me when I first started this podcast. Well, I don't think all these PhDs you have on are going to be all that entertaining. Oh, you are wrong. You are wrong. So my guest today, let's just get to it. 
Dr. Angela Neal Barnett, she's an American professor and child psychologist working at Kent State University in Kent, Ohio. She is a tenured professor at Kent State University in the Department of Psychological Sciences. She was the first African-American woman in the department to be tenured. And we talk about that concept in our interview about the pressures of being the first dot, 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 and the only dot, 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 whether it's you're the, you're the only Asian person, the only black woman, the only gay person, whatever, among a sea of white people or cis people or straight people. The extra anxiety you have, well, we'll get into it. She'll explain it better than me, but you know what I'm saying. She was the first African-American woman in this department to be tenured. As I said, in 2020, she was the recipient of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America's Geraldine Ross Clinician Advocate Award. She is the author of the book, Soothe Your Nerves, The Black Woman's Guide to Understanding and Overcoming Anxiety, Panic, and Fear, which deals with anxiety, panic, and fear as they are experienced by black women. So there is so much more. I, of course, I will put everything in the show notes, all the different ways that you can read about Dr. Angela Neal Barnett, all the ways that you can get her book. And now this is the way that you can get to hear her talk to me is when I shut up and I say, <laughs> hope you enjoyed this episode of Anxiety Bites with my guest, Dr. Angela Neal Barnett. Welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. Our guest today, as you already know, because I talked about her in the intro, is Dr. Angela Neal Barnett. Um, thank you, Dr. Angela, for being here with me today. I'm so excited. You're welcome. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I have so many questions for you about, you know, I, a lot of this interview is really going off of your book, Soothe Your Nerves, The Black Woman's Guide to Understanding and Overcoming Anxiety, Panic, and Fear. And I'd love to just jump in and start with where your book starts. You know, you mentioned that women are stopping you, you know, everywhere you go or at this certain point in your life, they're stopping you at church. They're stopping you in the hallways of, of things and saying, oh, doctor, you know, my nerves are bad. My nerves, my nerves. And they want to talk to you. But as you say, they're right to want to talk about it. But overcoming anxiety involves a daily plan of action. I'm going to ask you about that daily plan of action later. But I really love the opening anecdote that people are calling it bad nerves. Yes. Where does that come from? Is that a cultural thing? Is that a generational thing? Is it, is it lack of knowing about anxiety or is it a denial? Tell me everything. Well, I, I think it's a cultural thing. Uh, you know, people are always saying, you know, her nerves are bad or you're getting on my last good nerve. Uh, it, it, it's what we use in the Black community uh, instead of saying anxiety. And part of that is because we don't know. Uh, we don't hear people talking about anxiety or anxiety disorders. And the closest we might get is, oh, well, he or she has issues. <laughs> it's a little better than nerves, but... It uh, sounds worse than anxiety, though. I'd rather someone say I have anxiety than I have issues. Like, that could mean anything. <laughs> uh, but, it's, you know, we're, we're not calling it what it is. And, and part of us healing and getting better is... Um, the first step is calling it what it is. If you don't know what it is, you don't know what to do to get better. Well, I, I heard you say somewhere that, you know, some people would say, well, anxiety is a white person's issue. Yes. It, and is that seen as like a pejorative in the sense of like, 
I, I don't want to be like that or I can't claim it? Like, what? why is that a thought? Well, I think it's, it's because uh, when people think about, or when I first started doing the work and talking to, I would go out and I would talk to groups of people, groups of women, groups of, in, in the community about uh, anxiety, and I would ask them about panic attacks. Mm. Uh, and they were they were adamant that black black women black folks do not get this that that it really is a white person's disease. But then you'll hear people talk about, well, I just got so flustered, I I, I, I couldn't talk, or that uh, that you'll see people with phobias uh, and that they are having a panic attack in front of you. So I think it's that. Um, and I think it comes from a, a several things. Uh, one, how we conceptualize ourselves in the Black community, particularly as being strong and anxiety, panic is seen as weak. And two, I just think that people label, well, I know, that people label it as something else. So it's okay to be stressed, and they'll see it as stress but they won't see it as anxiety, as, as, as panic, because that's weak. And Black people are not weak. That's a white person's disease. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too, because um, my grandmother and mom also called things, and I think this is generational, called things their nerves, their hormones. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think in my family, there was a little bit of a shame about it. Well, I think I think that's probably true. I, I, I think that's probably true. I know that probably the area that is lacking most in Black communities, whether they be very affluent Black communities or very poor Black communities, is accurate information about mental health. We mm. just don't get it. And so we continue to use these terms that don't really fit who, what, what is happening. And the shame that you refer to is so strong in, uh, in Black communities. And, and the stigma is so, is, is so strong. People will do everything but and spend tons of money uh, to do everything but. Uh, what needs to happen, which is some form of therapy. You also say at the beginning of your book that, you know, when people come up to you, why is this happening? Why are my nerves this? Why, why, why? And you're saying, you know, why is a question that can cause more anxiety and fear? And you're saying the key is to asking what? Yes. The problem with, with why is there's never an answer. And you try, you know, and, and you're so busy trying to figure out why. So you then you start, you increase your anxiety. So why is this happening to me? So if I stop doing this, and it'll, it'll stop happening. And, and all you're doing is just making the anxiety worse and you're avoiding. The question is, what is this? And what do I, what do, I do about it? So many people spend their lives chasing why that they never do the work mm. uh, to become the person they were meant to be. Uh, and that's, uh, that's just a sad story and a sad tale that we hear over and over and over again. 
I love that you put it that way, the work to become who you, who you were meant to be. Yeah, I, mean, I think people forget that. I mean, and, and once you learn what it is and how to manage it, I mean, the sky's the limit for you. Yeah. Uh, and you're happier, you're healthier. That doesn't mean that you might not have a setback, but when you do, you actually know what it is. And you know what to do to bring yourself back. And I think also what you just said, Jen, in terms of knowing that uh, you can become the person you were meant to be, the person you want to be, is so important. You don't have to be bound by anxiety and fear. It's so beautiful. And, you know, you're one of the only people I've heard that really um, says, well, there's not really such a thing as an anxiety attack. There's panic attacks. Um, anxiety is something a little different. Tell us the difference between anxiety and panic. Okay, so anxiety is this perception of a future threat. You don't know what, you don't know when, you don't know where, but you just know something is going to happen. And so what happens is you're in the state of highest alert almost all the time. You're just waiting for the other uh, shoe to drop. Fear happens in the presence of the immediate threat. And so in the book, I talk about my mom's good friend uh, who was afraid of cats. And, you know, literally, we lived out in the country. She would come out. uh, She would call ahead. uh, (laughs) There were six of us. My mother would gather all of us and and say, you know, hide the cats because she's coming. And um, when they see or they believe they're going to see the thing that they're afraid of, then you see them have the panic attack. Mm. And you see people uh, faced with this idea that there is this perceived threat lurking out there who also have panic attacks. I guess the good thing about calling it an anxiety attack is people now know, okay, they're using anxiety at least. It's just not an anxiety attack. And so anxiety in our body might feel differently as well, right? Anxiety might feel more like worry and thoughts and panic is more physical. Panic would be more physical. You would have the physical reactions. But remember, what what sustains a panic attack is the fact that we think we're going crazy. We think we're going to die. Yeah. Uh, And what keeps us anxious after all what keeps us fearful, what keeps us anxious is our minds. The mind is, well, it's funny, you know, when I first started getting help with my panic attacks, someone said, well, no one's ever died of a panic attack. And, you know, that is of no comfort to someone with anxiety because I'm creative. So I went, well, I'll be the first. (laughs) Why not me? (laughs) No, reassurance, comfort, you know, reassurance doesn't work with anxiety. Uh, What works is actually exposure to the things uh, that we fear, exposure to the things that make us anxious, and realizing, particularly with panic attacks, that the panic can only go so high, and then it comes down. Mm. But most of us never let a panic attack get to its highest point. We either avoid, or we we do all, some people run around, we do all (laughs) sorts of things so that we never 
allow that sensation to dissipate, to come down. I think I, I could be wrong, but I think I have had my panic hit the highest it can hit because something happens where it almost feels like a spiritual experience where it gets to its height and then your body uh, releases the adrenaline and it just stops and there's a wave of uh, almost shaking and it, and it kind of comes down and it feels like there was divine intervention. And uh, it's, it's a very interesting feeling you can see in that moment. Oh, that was all chemicals this whole time. Well, our spiritual selves play a role in helping us um, overcome anxiety. How, how so? I, I believe that too. I, I, I really do. It's, it's been something for me that helps with um, just those moments when I feel like I'm going crazy and feel out of control. There is this, a spiritual side that I have to also put in my toolkit. I mean, one of the, the buzzwords right now is mindfulness. Uh, and things like prayer and our faith uh, help us in knowing that we can reclaim our lives. Having some kind of foundation is key for many people, particularly many Black Americans, mm-hmm. in terms of saying, okay, I can do what my therapist is asking. I can reach out for therapy. And some of these cognitive behavioral things that we're being asked to do, some people say, okay, I was sent to this therapist for a reason. And so what they're asking me to do, even though I'm not quite so sure about it, I am going to do it. And the final thing is that our spirituality gives us faith and faith that we will manage and overcome this anxiety disorder. And and to anyone listening, if you're if you don't have a faith, if you're not religious, you know, just think about how the sun rises and sets without your help. And you know, in the middle of a panic attack, you're you're not in control. But there's many things you're not in control. Well, you are in control of, in terms of breathing and all that. But there's many things we're not in control of, and it's it's a beautiful thing. You know, I'm I'm glad I don't have to rise the sun and set it because I would forget. <laughs> you're glad that you know that there is an unseen help is what you're saying yeah, exactly there is there is an unseen force out there that you know in those moments you can choose to believe the universe is a friendly place that wants you to stop panicking you know it's it's really it can bring you to tears sometimes if you're self-soothing that way it feels like you're parenting yourself in a way yeah, yeah. Anxiety Bites will continue on the flip side of this message from our sponsors. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, 
further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. To, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robey, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. You know, there's two interesting, to me, that I, that I hadn't thought of, um, stories in your book about Black women in faith. So there's the prayer warrior, which is mm. really actually maybe a symptom of OCD. And then mm. there's the, you know, Black women can choose to rely on faith, but if you're using faith only and your anxiety is not getting better, then there's a sense of, oh, I guess I don't believe enough. Um <sighs> I'm not doing faith right. So it, can you talk about that? That that it's is it seen as sort of um against God to to get help in a way in some in some people's lives? Yes. In in some people's lives, they believe uh that if you just pray hard enough, if you live right, uh you won't get anxious, you know, you won't get anxiety. I mean, I, I tell the story in the book of how you know I was there to talk about anxiety and pretty much the the minister's sabotage me. Uh, he, he said, you know, to you keep your guys on Jesus, you won't need no psychology, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. What do I do now, you know? And what did you do? How did you redirect? I told the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if that's not a panic attack, I don't know what is. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, throughout the Bible, there are people who reach out for mental health, health. Uh, and it's not that uh, they're healed instantly. It's that there are people who are sent to them who pretty much just serve as therapists uh, for them mm. uh, to help them uh, move on to the next level of their life. 
The belief is that somehow psychology is not biblical. Uh, and I'm not a, I'm not a seminarian, but I know psychology when I read it. And I know that it is in the book of the, of the Christian faith. There really is this uh, stigma about mental health in the Black community. And that's because, first of all, we get misdiagnosed all the time. Uh, and that, that's been across decades. And what happens is that Black Americans still today get the uh, most severe diagnosis. So if you have a white American and a black American and they're both having panic attacks, uh, but the diagnosis that the white American gets is a lesser diagnosis than uh, they'll get a panic, they're always having panic attacks. Whereas the black American will get uh, panic disorder superimposed on some other major disorder which may not be the case. Um, so, so there's a stigma in the Black community that uh, mental health is crazy. So if you are relying on something other than faith and prayer, then you must be straight up crazy. It takes a lot to be crazy. An anxiety disorder does not qualify in any way as crazy. Well, you know, that's so interesting you said that because, yeah, that is the number one thing that happens when I have panic attacks and I've heard it from other people. I feel like I'm going crazy. And it's like, well, thoughts are not actions. Are you running through the street with a samurai sword? No. <laughs> you know, are you <laughs> naked showing up at the office? No, you're probably not crazy because you're just thinking. So yeah. just thoughts. Uh, are you hearing voices that tell you to harm yourself? Are you having trouble distinguishing uh, reality from fantasy? I mean, those are the things, those are severe mental illness. And anxiety is not severe mental illness. And it's harmful to people uh, because it, 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 it extends the length of the anxiety. And particularly for, for, for Black Americans, uh, for Black women, what we know that anxiety disorders are more chronic and the symptoms are more severe. Mm. And the stigma that keeps us uh, from going to seek help keeps us in bondage longer, if I was using faith terms. Yeah. Well, tell us, tell everyone about your research. You're a tenured professor at Kent State University in the mm -hmm. Department of Psychological Sciences. Um, tell us about like, currently what your research is between anxiety and, and it's, it's mainly Black women, right? It's mainly Black women and girls. And I direct the program for research on anxiety disorders among African Americans. And the acronym for that is PRADA. So we look at a couple of things. One of the things we look at uh, aspects of Black culture that may lead to the development of anxiety disorders. So we look at a phenomenon called acting white, uh, which has nothing to do with wanting to be white and everything to do with what does it mean to be black. So when you're accused of acting white, what happens is, is that someone who is black thinks that your racial identity basically is not black enough. Uh, right. I could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. 
And so what happens is that people, you know, just um, uh, what we now know is that this accusation of acting white can serve as a form of bullying. And so of racial bullying. And so that we see it, it plays a role in the development of social anxiety. This what must other people think? Or I think other people will think X. So that's part of what we do. Uh, the other part, we do a lot of intervention work. We find that we have these women with anxiety disorders. And when we started, PTSD was an anxiety disorder. It's now a separate disorder, or PTSD. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, in the DSM-5, it's a separate category. Got it. But what happens is, as we go out and we teach people how to implement these interventions, we consistently hear that people didn't know that there was a name for what they were experiencing. It was what they thought life was supposed to be. Can you imagine living and not knowing that, it, that life wasn't supposed to be this way and that there was help available? Yeah. And when we investigate further, what we find is we find intergenerational or multi-generational anxiety. So my mother had panic disorder. Her mother had panic disorder. Her mother. So we get all of these people who think this is the way life's supposed to be. Yeah. Just the idea that it's not supposed to be this way is absolutely free for them. So that's what we do. We've been doing a lot of work with pregnant Black mothers. Mm. The infant mortality rate is awful for Black moms. Uh, the maternal morbidity rate is even worse. And the head of a doula agency knocked on my door one day and said, everybody said I should come talk to you uh, because we're seeing all these mothers and to us, they look stressed and anxious. But the researchers keep telling us that they're not. But everybody said, you could help us. <laughs> and of course, they were stressed and anxious. And even more of them had PTSD untreated. Oof. But the fact was, when you gave them the standard instruments that hadn't been normed or hadn't been developed for Black Americans then they underreported what was happening. Got it. So they're answering in that way of this is just how life is. Yes, that's exactly what was, was happening. So a lot of what we do is now that we know this, how do we intervene in ways that um, make it accessible to as many people as possible make it culturally competent so that people will come and make sure that it's effective so, you know, people get better. I'll tell you what we do run into is women who say to us, if I start thinking about this, then I have to think about everything else. And I just can't allow that to happen. So if I start thinking about my anxiety, I have to start thinking about what, what would the everything else be in that case? All the other stressors in my life. Got it. Uh, you know, and then I can't keep being strong and I can't allow that. What I hear a lot of times is I got to keep 
keeping on because I can't talk. But how are you going to tell a Black woman just don't be hypervigilant when she's going to go into a store and someone's going to follow her around thinking she's shoplifting? Or, you know, how does that work in, quote, real life? I don't tell them that. (laughs) (laughs) We don't say that. But we build that in. We don't pretend that systemic racism doesn't exist. And the fact is, is that for many Black Americans, uh, they live in two worlds. They have a foot in two worlds. So they may be working in a white world uh, and then living in a Black world. You know, they have to go eight hours negotiating a white world. Uh, and that's where we talk about mask wearing. It comes from Paul Lawrence Dunbar poem, We Wear the Mask. You know, who are you at work versus who are you when you leave work? And that many Black Americans, men and women, oftentimes are the only one. So we talk about the anxiety of the only, because they're the only one in the department. They're, you know, they're the only one in the building. Uh, and that creates a great deal of stress and anxiety. And learning how to deal with that is an important piece for, for people. You have to address it. Yeah. Because it's reality. Well, you mentioned in your book, too, that for Black women, sometimes uh, getting hired somewhere, it's like, oh, a two for one. We've got two minority categories, you know. Yes. And, you know, there must be so much stress of everything I do, I'm representing all Black people. Everything I do, I'm representing all women. And, you know, it's insane to think of being the only person of color or only woman or only one in, in a work environment where... There's just something, you know, in my industry, there's a lot of jobs that are mainly white men. And, and being in the only one in a room for me would be like being the only woman or something. But being the only one in the room is weird because they're also comfortable because they have each other. They don't even know it. It's not conscious, right, for the, the white people that they're just, it's just normal to them. And so, whereas if you're the only one, you're constantly thinking, I can't say this, I can't say that. How will they see me? They have no idea the the negotiating going on in anyone else's head. No, they have they have they have no idea. The story I tell is about one of my um, colleagues who was in a different department, different building than I am that I was in. And one day she just up and moved her office to the Department of Black Studies. And you know, never, ever, you know, she just up and moved her office. Not, not, not her field of study, not, but she just said, I cannot <laughs> do this anymore. Yeah. And yet only showed up in the building where she was tenured to teach her classes and then went back to an environment where she did not have to be an only. Like you said in your book that, you know, this, this stuff can physically take a toll on people. And, and it's bad for productivity as well, for the company. Yes, I'm blocking on the number because it's gone up uh, during the dual pandemics. But, you know, again, billions of dollars are lost each year by companies and corporations because of anxiety. Uh, and Black anxiety, again, takes a toll. I mean, people get to the point where they don't even realize that they're assessing the scene before they, you know, before they walk. It becomes part of what you do. 
Yes. It's second nature as an, as an only. Well, it, have you heard of any research or anything going on where companies are trying to change this? Are there any changes coming in this area? I think last summer, or, you know, the summer of 20, uh, people made it uh, at least overtures to do that. Yeah. What we found is that for some people, it was just overtures. And for some people, for some companies, it really was they were. They were dedicated to doing this. But the reason that they had to do it was because their Black employees just said, no more. Yeah. And challenged them uh, and said, you got to do something. You, you have to do something. And, you know, some people did things like form health equity uh, centers within their corporations and, and, and companies. But I don't think we'll know the impact of those for another five years because we'll see, are they making an impact? So are you doing the work? that will allow you to retain your Black employees. I do a lot of work in corporations, but I am an academic. Mm -hmm. My university said we're going to hire, you know, a cohort of Black faculty. And some departments said, you can't make us hire Black faculty. Oh, my God. Well, my answer would have been, that's correct. So therefore, you don't need this position. You know, <laughs> that would have been my answer. That's not the answer they were given. But that, you, know, you, know, you don't have to hire anybody. But, you know, these are black positions. Here's what's going to happen. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, again, I mean, and, and part of that, part of that pushback comes from just a lack of understanding and a belief about uh, Black employees, whether they be faculty or, or, or they be lawyers or they be accountants or whatever, that somehow that Blackness makes them suspect or not as good at what they do. Right. And that, again, knowing that contributes to anxiety and the development of anxiety. So some people know it going in, but being in that situation day in, day out, for many people creates, even if it's mild, some form of anxiety. And I imagine that can lead to depression, yeah? Like if that kind of anxiety is on your shoulders, that, that, can that just flow right into depression? Yes, and depression sometimes looks different in mm. Black Americans. And so one of the things... Uh, when we, whenever I see an angry black woman, or somebody's been characterized as an angry black woman, I want to know if I'm, what I'm seeing is actually irritability, mm. which is a form of depression, or if I'm seeing social anxiety. And so the anger is kind of a shield from uh, people actually finding out that I'm actually anxious. We'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it. And I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for you, you were the first uh, African-American tenured professor, right, at, at Kent. Yes, I was the first African-American full professor, which is the top of the line in professor Uh So I was the first full professor in my department. I was the first full professor in my college. And I remained that way for 10 years until September. But at least in my college, yeah. they promoted people to full professor. And when the university celebrated its 100th year, that was the first year that they actually promoted any Black woman to full professor. Oh, my God. So, uh, are there conflicted feelings in a way about that, where it's like... I do. Again, and, and 
because the woman who was promoted to a full professor uh, fought tooth and nail to get it and was denied it twice. <sighs> and so, uh, again, and that's the story. I mean, her story is not unique. Right. These are the stories of Black women across the country. So it fuel it, it gives us a sense of reality to some of the fear, some of the things that, that, that create anxiety for Black women. Because we all know someone it happened to. Yeah. When we look at, at Black American culture, we find that it's collective, you know, so that when, um, when one of us succeeds, all of us succeeds. I mean, I think about the people who came before me. And now I'm at the age where I'm, you know, I came before a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, but I think about that. And so I think about the people coming, people came before me and the people who are coming after me. And I think the way that many of us look at this is that we're paving the road. So it's easier for those who are coming behind us. And I think that's what tempers us from being resentful. We paved the road. It should not be as hard for my children and my children's children and my children's children. It should be easier. And that sense of collectivism, I think, is very, it plays a role in tempering uh, many Black Americans' anxiety. And you also talked about the difference between Black and white anxiety in that white women do something uh, called tend and befriend. Yeah. So, you know, in the face of, of stress, white women tend to befriend. Dora uh, Neal Hurston said that Black women were the mules of the world. They were carrying everyone's burden, you know. And so it's white women tend and befriend, and then that's it. And Black women tend to befriend, keep it all in. Keep it all in. Keep it all in. Yeah. So that, that goes to that strong Black woman. Yeah. Yes. A strong black woman. Uh, black women of a certain age love a movie called Imitation of Life. Have you ever seen it? I haven't, no. You have to watch it. There's a, an even older version, which is very, very different than this. I think it's one of the, the one that most people watch from the 60s, but the one that's from the 30s is, 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 is different. But what is, what is key in each version is that there's this, there is this white woman and there is this, um, there is a, a, this black woman who is her 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 maid, basically, or her cook, or her. And uh, the black woman has a daughter who can pass, mm -hmm. and uh, the daughter does does pass. She's very the daughter is very ashamed that her mother is black, and the daughter wants to be uh, to be white and passes as, as white. And in the '60s version, the mother. The black mother uh, gets sick and they have to find the daughter to come and be with her. So the black mother says two things that, that stand out for black women in this movie. One is what the black mother says. The day she gets married and the day that she dies are the two most important days in a woman's life. Okay. <laughs> black woman's on her deathbed. Okay. And you know, in most women's deathbed scenes, people are saying, go to the light. We love you. You know, we know that God is waiting for you, et cetera, et cetera. This woman is dying, and the white people around her bed are saying, you can't die, you can't die. How are we going to move forward without you? <laughs> I 
So, it's, you know, when you talk about a strong black woman, you, black women can't even die in peace. You know, the people are looking to, for them to help them even on their deathbed. And of course, she has the most grandest funeral, four white horses carrying her to glory, and Mahalia Jackson singing at her funeral. She gets to heaven and a white woman needs help. <laughs> That's the sequel. <laughs> it, it, it's about being a strong black. I mean, she is the strong black woman. You know, they're getting ready to be evicted. And she, you know, she talks the milkman and the landlord. I mean, she saves everyone in the movie, including the no good daughter. But she cannot save herself. You cannot save herself. And that's what happens with strong black women. We save everybody. Yeah. But we don't save ourselves. And so I don't think we should, should throw out being strong black women. I think we should use the parts that are really good about doing that to help us uh, as we take that journey to overcome anxiety. I know we're almost out of time. A couple of things. Um, you talked about anxiety specific to black women, and I was fascinated with this because I've never heard anyone talk about this. Witch writing. Witch writing. And I experienced sleep paralysis. And so I was like, no one's ever talked about this. But um, yeah, witch writing, which I had never heard. Um, can we talk about sleep paralysis and anxiety that's called witch writing? Yes. So, uh, you know, the people who were raised in the South talk about witch writing, or some people might say a hate got a hold of me. Uh, and, and, what, and what happens is just as you're falling asleep or just as you're waking up, you feel as if you can't move. Uh, and then you have these kind of hypnagogic uh, hallucinations. And of course, uh, you panic. And so what we know is that uh, this occurs in all cultures. You know, people say, oh, I've had that experience. Yeah. But what happens with Black Americans is, it, is it's recurrent. So they have it over and over and over again. And it's almost akin to a nighttime panic attack. And most mm. panic attacks occur at night as well. So uh, it's just a form of anxiety uh, that's steeped in folklore, but is actually, again, akin to having a panic attack. Which is writing you because what happens is that you've done somebody wrong or you've done some you, you've done wrong, and so you get you know because you've done wrong a witch rides you until you do right, uh, and um, that's the folklore, uh, and so people just dismiss it until uh, we really begin to look at it and say, look, hey, you know this is related to anxiety. This is part of anxiety. And it's interesting that anxiety happens more at night because it's kind of, our defenses are down a little bit. Anxiety is time to get our attention. I don't know if anxiety is trying to get our attention in a little bit. I would, I, I would phrase it like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, one way to think about it is uh, that, that our defenses are down. So lastly, um, let's talk about daily plans of actions. Um, finding a therapist, advice for loved ones who live with someone in, with anxiety? What should people put in their toolkit? How can their friends and family help them? How can they find a therapist and what can they do every day? So first of all, I think that you have to call it what it is. You have to call this what it is. Secondly, why tell them I go out and talk to people about finding a therapist? Uh, 
I tell them it's the same way that you find a hairdresser or a barber if you're black, you know. That's great. You have to think about it in, in those terms. And none of us would go to a therapist, would go to a hairdresser or a barber who didn't know how to do black hair. You want to find a therapist who is culturally competent. Many of us want black therapists, but there aren't enough of us to go around. We just, you know, they just aren't. It's like 2% of us are, are psychologists, 1% of us are psychiatrists, and 4% of us are, are social workers, counselors. So mm. not enough of us exist. So cultural competence, which means they know how to do black hair, and they've actually done black hair. They just didn't study it in school. They've done it. So they've had at least one client who is black. Yeah. The other thing you want to understand is that the gold standard of treating anxiety and its disorders is cognitive behavioral therapy. So somebody who wants to do, uh, have you lay on a couch and psychoanalyze you, that's not the type of therapy that you want for anxiety disorders. You want cognitive behavioral, which is understanding the connection between your mind and body. And if you want a Christian counselor, then they also will be doing cognitive behavioral therapy as well, if they, they understand that. Okay. And friends and family, you know, we're not going to reassure people. Reassurance doesn't work, as I said earlier. But what we do do is we support them in their journey of healing. And the other thing we do, particularly when we're doing certain types of social anxieties, is that while we're supporting, we don't serve as that safe person anymore. We encourage them to uh, go out and do the things their therapist has, has told them, has, has suggested that they do, but we don't run to the store for them because they're feeling a little anxious. Ah. Okay, well, you know, I'll ride along with you, but you're going, you're the one who goes in the store, not me, or I'll go in the store with you, but those kinds of things. Uh, and then I think the way you start your morning affects the way your day goes. So most of us get up in the morning and we start scrolling through our phones. Yeah. Don't do that. So you might want to uh, get up in the morning, you may want to start out with music, with, with, with playing some music, or program your whatever it is, your smart device, to play a song that has positive meaning for you. Uh, we all have all sorts of apps now for everything. So you can do 10 minutes of yoga, or 10 minutes of mindfulness, or, or 10 minutes of workout. We now know, the research now tells us those things are very helpful in terms of anxious, negative thoughts. I'm a big yoga fan uh, because there are things you can do in 10 minutes. Yeah. And then, you know, it's almost become cliche uh, because everybody's saying it, which is give yourself grace. But I would say that for, for those of us who are Black Americans, we have to think back to what Aretha tells us and that grace leads us home. Mm. And home is the place where we are our best selves. And that as we call it what it is, when we ask for help, when we follow through with that help, from the standpoint of anxiety, we become our best selves. 
I love that. And it takes us back to where we began, that that's why we want to get better, right? And thank you for reminding me about music. It's so easy to start the day with talk, you know, podcasts, people talking. Music just cuts through. Yeah, what is the saying? Music soothes the savage beast. Yeah. Uh, so all of those things are, are just so important. Thank you, Dr. Angela, for, for talking with me today. I hope everybody learned so much. And is there anything you'd like to promote in addition to your book, Soothe Your Nerves? I always promote good mental health. And there's no sin and shame in asking for help. That the sin and shame comes when we don't ask for help. We keep it in and it begins to really seep into our spirits. I love it. Thank you again for being here. You're welcome. I hope you loved my chat with Dr. Angela as much as I did. And again, she says she is not here to promote anything but good mental health. But again, if you want to learn more about her, please visit all of the links in the show notes. Now let's talk about some takeaways from this episode with Dr. Angela. First of all, Dr. Angela says that when you refer to your anxiety as your nerves or as stress you're really not on the road to healing and getting better. The first step is to call it what it is, anxiety. And if you don't know what it is, then you're not going to know what to do to get better. Anxiety and panic attacks, they are two different things. Often people say anxiety attacks. There's really no such thing as an anxiety attack. There's anxiety and then there are panic attacks. Dr. Angela says when asking questions about anxiety, do not ask why. Problem with that is that there's never an answer. And when you're trying to figure out something that there's no answer to, you're going to increase your anxiety. So enough with the why. The question you want to ask is what? What is happening? And what am I going to do about it? Then you're on the road to getting help, healthier and healthier. That's right, everybody. Oh my God. <laughs> why do I think I can speak for a living? Healthier and happier. Anxiety defined is simply the perception of a future threat. You don't know what, you don't know when, and you don't know where, but you just know something is going to happen. It's like being in a constant state of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Again, the most common thing that people having a panic attack think is, I'm going crazy, I'm crazy. This means I'm crazy. Dr. Angela wants to remind you to ask yourself in those moments, am I having thoughts of seriously harming myself? Am I having trouble separating reality from fantasy? That is severe mental illness, but a panic attack and anxiety are not severe mental illnesses. Nobody has ever died of a panic attack. Faith and psychology do not have to be two separate things in the sense that you cannot pray your anxiety away and it does not mean you don't have enough faith if prayer isn't taking care of your anxiety. Dr. Angela wants us to know that Black Americans get misdiagnosed all of the time compared to white Americans. 
A white American could get diagnosed with having anxiety or having a panic attack, whereas a black American will get diagnosed with a panic disorder or something even bigger, superimposed on some other major disorder, which may not be the case. The mythology of the strong black woman can cause a lot of anxiety, which can also lead to depression. Anxiety and panic is intergenerational, multi-generational. Your mother could have had panic disorder, then your grandmother had panic disorder. So not only do we inherit it, but we can see by being raised, oh, this is the way life is supposed to be. Dr. Angela wants you to start your day with something positive that you can do right when you wake up before the anxiety has a chance to hit. Play a song that puts you in a positive mood. She says, as cliche as it sounds, do some yoga, do a workout, even if it's just 10 minutes. It can help redirect the course of your day. And again, don't forget to give yourself a little bit of grace. Thank you again for listening to Anxiety Bites. Just remember, Anxiety Bites, but you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.